people. Amen. And uh, He is worthy, isn't He? He's great and greatly to be praised. Would you bow with me as we ask Him to meet us in the hearing of His Word today? God in heaven, thank You for sending Your Son. Thank You for coming on a rescue mission. Thank You that You didn't stay comfortable in the glory of heaven, but You came low. came down so we could be lifted up. We give you praise for who you are, for what you've done, and God, as we, we examine some of the truths of who Christ is this morning, I pray, God, for the believers that we would be refreshed, and for those who are on the fence, wondering, seeking, searching, God, that you would bring them to saving faith today. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to speak with you on the subject, hope is here because of who Jesus is. Hope is here because of who Jesus is. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, if you would find your way to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, uh, you'll say, well we were in Matthew chapter 1 last week. We were, but we're really going to examine two concepts that are captured in the 23rd verse of Matthew chapter 1. That Jesus is, is human and He is God. The Bible uses several words to describe people who don't yet know Christ. People who are lost and dead in their trespasses and sins. Blind, lost, deaf, lame, dead. But perhaps the most frightening word that the Bible uses to describe people who don't belong to God, who don't know God, is the word enemy. James 4.4 says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Church, I'm here to proclaim to you today, unless we're rescued by Jesus, we are willfully at war with a holy God. And that, that leads Not just to physical death, but everlasting separation from the favorable, loving presence of God. So what we need, what sinners need desperately, is a way to end our war with God. The the hostility between us and God. Speaking in human terms, worldly terms, the odds are not in our favor, are they? God is perfect in power and in holiness. And we are filled with pride and sinfulness and self-righteousness how in the world could we ever have peace with an infinitely holy and perfect and righteous God that's the miracle of Christmas Paul says in Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life how through Jesus Christ our Lord we deserved death hell the grave everlasting separation from God's presence but God came down in his son God sent Jesus as an undeserved gift of His grace to end our war with Him on terms that would allow us not to know His wrath, but to know His love. Not to know His anger, but to know His acceptance. For it is only in the presence of God, the psalmist tells us, that we know and find pleasures forevermore. You say, 2020 has been a crazy year, my, my life is fretful, I, I am distracted, I don't know what's going on. The pleasure that you seek is found only in the presence of God. And God came down so you could know His presence. 
As Paul writes in Romans 5.1, we can have peace with God. The war can be over. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is possible because of who Jesus is. And we get the twin realities of who Jesus is in this, this one verse. We see it throughout the Gospels, but it's really encapsulated just in verse 23. And Matthew is quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call His name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Church, I'm here to tell you hope is here because we can have peace with God. And we can have peace with God because of who Jesus is. Well then, who is Jesus? He's the Son of Man. He's a child. The offspring, the descendant of man. And He is the Son of God. So I want to show you two things from the text this morning. First, as the Son of Man, Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully human. The angel makes a shocking announcement to Joseph. In today's language, if we were to paraphrase what the angel says, Hey, Joe, uh, Mary is pregnant. Yeah, the, the Mary you're dating. Yeah, the one you put a ring on her finger, she's, she's pregnant. Yeah, I know you haven't gotten married yet. No, you haven't done what you do when you get married yet, but Mary's pregnant. She's the virgin that Isaiah was talking about. She's going to have a son. Yes, Joseph, you are engaged to a virgin mother. And any other time in the world, that's an oxymoron. You can't have a virgin mother, but with God all things are possible, and it's all according to God's plan. Just relax. It's going to be okay. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Joseph, I'm like, but why? What in the world is going on? Why is God coming down in this way? And it's a great question. Why, why does God become a man at Christmas? And the reason God has to become a man at Christmas is because He is coming to fix or to reverse everything the first man messed up. What Adam got wrong, God comes down and gets right Himself. One scholar summarizes the truth in this way, the humanity of Jesus refers to the reality that in His incarnation, which is a big Bible word, a big fancy theological term for God becoming man, in His incarnation, the Son of God assumed a complete human nature with all of its limitations, but without in any way surrendering His divinity. This detail of the Christmas story That Jesus was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit is an essential doctrine. The miraculous conception of Jesus, if, if the conception of Jesus in Mary is not true, we remain dead in our trespasses and sins. Why? Because only a sinless human son could pay for the sins of human sons. While Adam's sin plunged us into guilt and rebellion against God, God promised Another son would come and pay the price of our death with his own blood and he would conquer Satan and his plan and he would do it not not with some borrowed blood but with his own blood. Why? Because as we saw in Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The Old Testament sacrificial system couldn't save us. We needed the son that the sacrificial system pointed to, the son of God, to come. And so as C.S. Lewis writes, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. The full humanity of Jesus is affirmed 
in this simple passage and throughout the Gospels. Jesus is a human being, and we know this. Why? Because He's called a child. Do you see it in verse 23? You're going to have a child. Not you're going to have an alien. Not you're going to have some sort of weirdo thing. Not some hybrid God but man, but not really God, and not really man, somewhere in between, you're going to have a child, a real child. Matthew doesn't make up a word. He doesn't invent a word. It's any other mom who had a child, this is what you would use to describe their child. You're going to have a baby. When Jesus is born, as Mary and Joseph are trying to get Jesus to sleep in the manger, I can guarantee you while the cows are snorting and the donkeys are braying, it was not a silent night. Like every other mom and dad in every generation, Mary and Joseph had to go through that process of figuring out their baby's different cries. You know what I'm talking about, moms and dads, right? There's the cry when you're tired. There's the cry when you're hungry. There's the cry when you're wet. There's the cry when you're dirty. And every cry is different. And you got to learn to figure out those cries. And Jesus got hungry and He cried. He got tired and He cried. He got wet and He cried. He got dirty and He cried. He spit up. Imagine when Jesus discovered that He had a tongue just like my daughter did. He made raspberries. (laughs) Jesus was fully human. We know Jesus was fully man because that's how He appeared to those who knew Him. People struggled to understand His miracles, His teaching, and His wisdom. Why? Because He looked like some average guy walking down the street. How does He do that? He's fully human. I remember the story in Luke chapter 4. He goes back to Nazareth Nazareth and He reads from Isaiah's scroll and people are looking and seeing His wisdom and what He's saying. And and the Bible tells us that they were saying, in His own hometown, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this just the son of a carpenter? Who in the world is this man? We also know that Jesus was fully human, not just because He's called a child, not just because He appeared to everyone else as a man, but because He has a human mind. Sometimes people think, well, He just had a human body, but it was like the divine mind in the brain, and that's all there was, as if like God adopted a man. No, He was fully man with a human brain. Sometimes we think of Jesus like He came out of the womb just knowing everything. But He had to learn His numbers and His colors and His alphabet just like every other person. Luke 2.52 says that He kept increasing in wisdom and in stature. In other words, He had to learn and He had to grow. He had to go from a child to a man, just like everyone else. And remarkably, Jesus shows us, you remember the story of when He was 12 and He was in the temple and He was hearing the instruction from the scholars at the temple and Jesus is dialoguing with them and Mary and Joseph have headed back home. And they're like, three days later, where in the world is Jesus? They come back and He's still hanging out listening to God's Word, mixing it up with the scholars at the temple. And they're like, well, Jesus, what are you doing here? And He's like, I had to be about my Father's business. Don't you realize who I am? I'm the Son of God. By the age of 12, Jesus had figured it out. Which tells us something about the human mind and about children, incidentally. It tells us that children are capable of learning big terms. They're capable of learning deep theology. It means we ought not sell short our children and withhold from them the deep truths of God. From the 
very beginning, as much as we want to get colors and letters and numbers, we want to get the books of the Bible and the themes of the Gospel that God is Creator, that we fell and rebelled against Him, that we have a hope through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and He is coming again for a glorious consummation of a new heavens and a new earth, and all who trust in Him will be saved. Why? Because He is fully man, fully capable of remaking sinners in His image and growing them up into Christ the head so that they are qualified to dwell with Him when He returns. We can teach those things to kids. And kids can grab hold of those truths far earlier than we give them credit for. Jesus was like us physically. On the boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, He was tired and laid down for a nap. After fasting for 40 days, He was hungry. From the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. He heard the insults and the mocking on the way to the cross where He suffered and died. Afterward, His human body was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus heard and He saw and he slept and he breathed and he swallowed and he tasted and he touched and he hungered and he smelled just like we do. Jesus was also like us in that he experienced the full range of human emotions. I should qualify that as ordinary, non-sinful human emotions. When, when Lazarus died, do you remember what Jesus did? He, he wept. When the Pharisees were upset that Jesus was going to heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, Jesus looked around in anger and He was grieved at the hardness of heart of the religious leaders. When the disciples got in the way of children coming to Him, Jesus was indignant, which means really angry. Mark 10, 14. When He encountered crowds who were hungry or sick, we see throughout the Gospels these, these words that Jesus was moved with compassion. Those words, move with compassion, means stirred in his intestines. He felt it viscerally. He identified with us in the, in the core of who he was. And he therefore fed and healed those that he encountered. Perhaps the, the full range of human emotions is best seen in the experience of the cross. You recall that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before He was going to go to the cross and He was sweating drops of blood considering the cross that was before Him and He told, told His disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And yet, Hebrews tells us in chapter 2 verse 14 that when He resolved that He was going to the cross and this was indeed the Father's will for Him that He saw the cross with joy and went to it for the joy set before Him. Jesus is fully human, the ideal human being, like us in so many ways, but He's unlike us in an important way. Through the miraculous conception of Jesus and Mary, Jesus was born without sin. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary to bypass Joseph so that Jesus could be born as a new Adam without the sin of humanity that is transmitted through men ever since Adam was a sinner. He was like a do-over Adam who got it right. An Adam who was tempted, Hebrews 4.15, but did not sin. But because he was fully human and truly tempted and never sinned, he is able to be our sinless and spotless substitute to pay the price of death for our sins in real human blood. How could God, who is spirit, rescue flesh and bone? 
How could he do it? He had to come down and wrap himself in our humanity so that God could give himself to us in grace. He did it by becoming a man. Nothing that we could give God for our sins could ever pay the debt of death that we owe Him. So God sent His Son to take our place and pay the price of our sin with His own precious life. Church, this is the promise of the Gospel. God came down to become a man to pay the price for sin. There's a fancy Bible word for the the payment of something, and it's the word redemption. You go to Kroger and you redeem a coupon. I don't know if anybody still does that now with apps. I think you just load them all into your app, but... You used to clip these things out of, like, the newspaper. Does anybody get the newspaper anymore? I I don't even know if this is a relevant example, but um, there's these things that you used to buy something called a newspaper, and there were stories in it, and there was ads, and you'd clip out coupons, and you'd take them to Kroger, and you would save money on your groceries, and it'd be like 50 cents off or 50% off. You redeemed it. And the Bible tells us, Paul specifically says in Ephesians 7, We have redemption through His blood. His blood was untainted by sin. His life was untainted by sin. We don't, when we go to Kroger, we get a percentage off. But with Jesus, He paid it all. He paid it in full with His blood. We don't have to pay anything with our blood because He paid and covered our sin with His life. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't pay just like 99% of it? Have you ever thought about that? Man, if Jesus, we're going to sing here in just a few minutes, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. If Jesus had paid 99.99% of your debt, the 0.01% that you still had remaining of offense and sin against an infinitely holy God would separate you from him forever. There was not one scintilla of unholiness in the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He laid down His life so that He could raise you up and make you new. He came to be a man to pay it all in full. That is grace. Left to ourselves, we would be at war with God and we would lose. Did you know you would lose a war with God? But the miraculous conception of Jesus means His death for your sin and my sin can count in our place. He's fully human. And yet, church, we needed more than just someone to pay for our sins. We needed someone who could conquer our death. We needed someone who could not just make a payment, but could raise us up and make us new and give us life, not just for a little while, but life everlasting. We needed the second half of verse 23. We needed Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm here to tell you that hope is here not just because Jesus is the Son of Man and fully human, but hope is here because Jesus is the Son of God and He is fully divine. The New Testament is clear that Jesus is God. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why does it mean God with us? Because that's who Jesus is. He is God with us. Colossians 1.19 says, It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of To dwell in Him, meaning Jesus. What is all the fullness? It's all the fullness of God. In other words, everything that God has, Jesus is. There is nothing that God has that Jesus does not have. Philippians 2.6 tells us, Although Jesus existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus was God, but He didn't hang on to His deity in such a way that He said, well, I'm not going to go down there and save those people. He said, sure, I'll go. I'll rescue them. 
And he emptied himself by coming to us as a man, and yet he is nevertheless God. I want you to get this. The addition of our humanity to Jesus, the Son of God, is never a subtraction of his deity. He came down not by subtracting something of who he already was, because he is the eternally unbegotten, eternally begotten Son of the Father. When he came down, he didn't stop being God. He just added our humanity. While we can clearly see the humanity of Jesus in the Gospels, we can also see that Jesus is divine. In the middle of a raging storm, the wind and the waves obey His voice. When thousands are hungry, He grabs one Hebrew Happy Meal and multiplies it into enough food to feed everybody who's there. 5,000 men and no doubt more women and children as well. We should not be surprised by the creative power of Jesus. As God the Son, He is also God the Word. The creative agent of the Father. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Listen to this, verse 3 of John 1. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing that was made was made. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. How is it that Jesus, who was born centuries after Abraham in the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, etc., how is he before Abraham? Because he is the great I am. He is one with the Father, co-creator of the universe, the very Word of God who spoke the universe into existence. And by becoming man, he can speak into you new life and raise you up from the death and hell that you deserve and make you new because he became a man to make you new in him. He can make you new. Jesus has the power over disease in the Gospels, disfigurement in the Gospels, disability in the Gospels, and even death. And then even His own death. You say, well, I know He raised Lazarus from the dead, but He tells us in John 10, look, I'm going to lay my life down and I'm going to take it up again. I can lay my life down and I can raise myself from the dead. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and listen to this, I have authority to take it up again. Jesus has authority over death and disease and disfigurement. He has even the authority we see in the Gospels to forgive sins against God. Do you remember the story of the lame man, the paralytic, who's brought to Jesus because he can't walk and the, the room is filled with people and so they make a hole in the roof. It's like a children's Bible story. Everybody remember the story? So like, it's a ten-legged man, right? He's got two legs that don't work and he's got four friends with two legs. So the four friends with two legs each carry him to Jesus. They go up on the roof. They get a, they get a hole in the roof and they're like, alright, we'll just put him down to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Hey, this guy can't walk. I figure I'll fix his legs. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And people are like, what? Who are you to forgive sins? You're just a man. They, they understood. Only God can forgive sins against God. Guess what? Jesus is God. He can do it. And then Jesus did something really cool. I love this. Because you know what's harder to do? It's harder to forgive sins than to heal a lame man. Because forgiving sins was going to require his life and substitution for his sins. So Jesus then says, you know what? <laughs> to prove that I can forgive his sins, 
go ahead and get up and walk. He did the harder thing. Some of you are facing physical infirmity. You're facing ailment. You've got family members with failing health. Let me tell you. Jesus could heal you in an instant physically if he so chose. But he may not choose to do that this side of the grave. But there's something far more important that he's done with you that's been signed, sealed, and delivered through the blood of Jesus. He has taken your heart that was headed towards death, and if you'll trust in him, he can make it new and raise it up to life everlasting and forgive your sin. There's not a person in this room, if you'll turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, that he won't forgive you. He's already given his life to do the harder thing. So many people refuse to believe God because my brother got cancer or my mom died young or this thing happened and he came and gave his life in blood and conquered the grave on the third day and was raised up to do the harder thing, to forgive your sins so that you could see your mom and your brother and your sister again one day and more importantly so that you could behold the face of your Savior with them and say, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. He didn't just heal me for a little while on this earth. He healed me for forever to glorify his name. Jesus came to do the harder thing. To forgive your sin. So the Bible presents us Jesus as having two different natures. Fully human and fully divine. And yet these natures are somehow unified in His one person. The Bible never tells us that the divine Jesus did this or the human Jesus did that. Jesus is one person and these two natures are united in Him in such a way that there's no confusion or mixture or dilution of either nature such that His full humanity and full deity are never compromised. And you say, well, how in the world is He fully God and fully man and one man and, and they're united but not in such a way that... He's not less than fully man or greater than fully man and not less than fully God or greater than fully God. How does that all work? I have no idea. And that's okay. This is what the witness of the Scriptures is. It's how it presents Jesus to us. And the doctrine is difficult to explain and it's even more difficult to understand and yet it is essential to our salvation. A human had to die for the sins of humans to be forgiven. And God is the only one with the power to raise the dead. Jesus must be both. So we'll have seminary in heaven forever. And we can ask Jesus about the doctrine. This is called the doctrine of the hypostatic union of the two natures in Christ. If you want to write that down and look it up over lunch. We'll have eternity to figure it out. And it doesn't matter if we ever fully figure it out or not because Jesus is God and we get to worship Him and He's forgiven our sins and He's able to do that because He's fully God and fully man. As God, Jesus is able to conquer our death, make us new, give us not just a clean moral slate, but the very righteousness of God Himself. This is an important point. You see, it wouldn't be enough for us to be morally neutral even if that was possible. Somewhere between bad and good. It's not even a category that's possible for us. Left to ourselves, we always end up being bad, unrighteous, unholy. But, but it wouldn't be enough just to have our slate wiped clean. We've got to have the righteousness of God in order to be with God Himself. So Jesus is God coming down to give us the very righteousness that God requires of us. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, He's qualified to be the one mediator between God and man, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5. 
A mediator is someone who makes peace between parties that were previously at war with one another by paying the price for our sin and then declaring that we have a share in the righteousness of God through faith in Him. Jesus, our mediator, gives us what we desperately need to know and enjoy and live and delight in the presence of God. The Bible word for this peace that we have with God is reconciliation. Paul writes in Romans 5, We exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Church, we declared war against God with our rebellion. So God came down at Christmas and made a way to end our war with Him without ending us. Think about what this says about the love of God for a moment. At Christmas, God became a man. David Platt observes this, He was born a baby, but he sustained the universe. He was 30 years old, but he was existing eternally. He was tired, but he was simultaneously omnipotent. He died, and he conquered death. He has returned to heaven, and yet he is still here present with us. The peace that God gives is more than just knowing our sins are forgiven, as amazing as that is. Did you know we get God himself? We get God with us. Us, a God who understands life in this world and has overcome it. Have you, has anybody here just had a great year? It's been an amazing, I mean, everything you dreamed about on New Year's Eve 2019 has come true in 2020. It's been awesome. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Did you know Jesus understands what you're going through? You say, well, how is that true? He lived 2,000 years, 2, years ago because he's a man. He experienced what you've experienced. Think for a moment about our God, the one true God, because of Christ. He can identify with you in a way that no other God, and there are no other gods, but if there were other gods, they can't identify with you. There's no other faith in the world that says their God can know what it is you're going through because their God didn't become a man. Think about what Jesus can do in your life. Whatever you're going through this morning, how can the triune God who exists in perfect love know what it's like to be going through the middle of a painful divorce? Jesus was betrayed in the deepest way. He was betrayed by Judas. He was denied by Peter and he was rejected by his own hometown. How can the God who owns everything identify with you as you're facing the loss of a job? Did you know Jesus was homeless? He says, foxes have holes to live in. Where do I live? I've got to depend on whoever allows me to sleep in their home for my next bedroom. Jesus was homeless. How can, the, how can the God whose very essence is life identify with you in the loss of a family member? Jesus wept as we saw over the death of Lazarus. And Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus mentions his mother Mary from the cross, but there's no mention of Jacob at all. Where was Jacob? Why, why would he have to say to John the Apostle, hey, you take care of Mary like she's your own mother. Why does he have to say that to John? I assume it's because Jacob has died. Jesus could have raised his own daddy from the dead, but instead... Presumably, based on the silent witness of the Gospels, he allowed his dad to die and to stay dead so that he knows what it's like as you face 2020 with the first season of loss of your mom or your dad or your grandma or whatever it is you're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. How can the 
God who has all power and who always does what is right. Know the crisis that I am facing as I'm trying to do God's will or to determine God's will because it's going to cost me something to do the will of God. God's telling me to change a job. He's telling me to move. He's calling me to to be a full-time missionary. How am I going to do the will of God when it's going to cost me everything? Jesus sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and He said, not my will, but your will be done. So whatever you're facing in 2020 and whatever God is calling you to, Jesus says, I am Emmanuel, God with us, and I will be with you in it. There's no other God like Jesus. From conception to death, Jesus knows what you're facing in this world, and if you'll trust Him in whatever you face, He will be with you. Christianity says to the world that Hope is here because Jesus is fully man and fully God, God with us. The miracle of the incarnation of the Son of God at Christmas means God has been through whatever it is that you are facing. And He will be with you as you face it until He comes. He knows the highs and the lows, the joys and the triumphs of life. And He did this not just to save you from your sins, as important as that is, but so that you would know the joy of His presence in the midst of the struggle. That you would know and feed on Jesus Christ your Savior. He came to end the war that you had with God because of sin, but to deliver you into the presence of God forevermore. And so this morning, if you're still at war with God, dead in your trespasses and sins, devoid of the joy that can only be known in the presence of Christ who knows where you are and what you're going through, there's only one thing you can do to find what you're seeking. You can turn from your sin. You can fall on your knees and say, God, I give you my life. Save me, rescue me, and make me yours in Jesus' name. If you'll do that this morning, watch and see what Jesus Emmanuel will do with the rest of your life. Would you bow and pray with me? God in heaven, we give you praise for the miracle of Christmas. God, I thank you that Jesus is fully man and fully God, that he is a mediator between God and man, and that we can have peace with God because the price is paid in full. The blood of Jesus covers and conquers all, And God, I pray if there's any man or woman or child here today who does not know Christ, Lord, that you would give them the liberty and the freedom to repent of their sin and to trust in Jesus and to find peace with God and to find, God, that you are good on your promise, that you will never leave or forsake those who belong to you by faith. And God, in in your presence, there are truly pleasures forevermore, even in the midst of a global pandemic, even in the midst of pain and heartache and loss and difficult choices. So God, we give you praise for Christ. And if there's any who does not know that their sins are forgiven, that the price of their sin has been paid, God, give them liberty to trust you today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.